Rafer? Yes, Kristen. I have kind of a philosophical question for you today. I love, you know, I'm minored in philosophy. I know, you're so phil- you're, philosophical. You're talking That's to me. a minor expert. <laughs> so here it is. When does youth end? Mmm. That's more of a that's more of a, a life self help question. It's not quite not quite metaphysical. <laughs> you know, men are from Mars, women are from that's Venus. Right. When does youth end? When does youth end? Exactly. <laughs> it's a good question. I might say, I would say uh, I think there are a couple of markers in one's life, right? Children that'll end your youth. <laughs> I think also Just the man with two children to the woman who has no children. <laughs> you know, I think when your parents die. I think that's uh, I think that's a marker. That's certainly a marker of, of one's youth ending. Um, and then I mean, I suppose you could just you know pick an age. I mean, certainly by forty. Oh darn right? it! Darn, darn it! it. My youth is over. Oh no! Sorry, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking because of the new movie Youth? That is correct. I am asking because of the new movie Youth. That's the movie with Michael Caine, Rachel Weisz as his daughter, and Harvey Keitel. Uh, kind of a European. Uh, well-heeled set version of a buddy movie slash this is the end of our lives sort of mm, movie. Okay. Uh, we're going to be talking about that today along with Chirac. Am I pronouncing that wrong? Chirac. Chirac. It's like Chicago and do rock. That's right. All in one word. Right. That's the new Spike Lee movie. They call it a portmanteau. What? A portmanteau. <laughs> oh. Yeah, when you mix up two words like uh, frenemy. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that's what the word was for. That's I always French called it a word mashup. You can call it that, too. That's the American version. All right. And then we have another movie called The Letters, which is all about Mother Teresa. You might remember who she is. Mm -hmm. I do. And she was sainted, and this is about that. And we also are going to be talking about a horror comedy holiday movie called Krampus. Krampus. Am I pronouncing that right? Is that correct? I I think I just – I call it Krampus. K-R-A-M-P-U-S. Krampus. Oh, but it's actually a real German thing. It is, yes. It's yes. Real, real, uh, well, it's a it's an actual mythical German thing. Yes. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> or is it mythical? This is very philosophical. Gosh, we're getting so deep today, Rafer. Boy. So deep. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll talk about all of that. Plus, for sweatpants, master of none. But before we get to all of that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday, and this is Movie Date. about youth but actually i'll just talk about youth okay you know not only did you not see the movie but you clearly seem to think you're not youthful anymore <laughs> <I'm unqualified. laughs> even though you don't look a day over 29 unqualified in every way to contribute <laughs> yes tell me about youth all right so youth centers on an aging composer played by michael kane and an aging filmmaker played by Harvey Keitel. They're in the Alps. They're at this luxurious spa, which I imagine probably costs about $10,000 a day. With the well-heeled set, they're eating fine meals. They're getting massages, sometimes getting more than massages mm-hmm. from the folks there. All sorts of entertainments, um, okay. if you will. Yeah, walks, I will. Walks along the alpine paths and the hills, and they're talking about life and death and what it means to be young, what it means to be old, what it means to be a man how the muses in their lives have betrayed them or how they've betrayed those women. Here's a clip. I'm going to give you a different type of massage because you're stressed. No, to be precise, you're not stressed. You're emotional. You understand everything with your hands, don't you? 
You can understand all sorts of things by touching. And while they're philosophizing and while they're looking back at their problems and their lives and so on, we see that the artists in the world are men and the women in the world are their muses. Mm. We see that women are naked a lot and have perfect bodies. Uh And we see that men... It doesn't matter what they look like. They can still receive special pleasures from the ladies in the world, whether it's their massage therapist or who knows. I feel disapproval radiating from you, (laughs) Kristen. Something about this movie is irking you. It sure is. It sure is. Not only does it feel horribly sexist, that's that's probably my biggest, you know, beef on the surface, but then get below that surface. I also just think it's boring. Okay. I don't want to listen to two old multimillionaire white guys whine about the women that got away while they're living in the lap of luxury and not really saying anything that philosophical, actually. Most of what they say may as well be on a successory. Do you know what those successory <laughs> posters were back in the 90s and early 2000s? Yo, I know the ones you're you talking about. Yeah. The motivational posters that you'd see in offices? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, where it would say, connection, yeah. where many points meet together the picture as one. and then the black yeah and, the and then it's like a pile of yeah. leaves or something yeah. or it's a dog running up a hill or gotcha. wh- whatever it is that's what so, so anything that's even supposed to sound remotely philosophical struck me as a cross between a successory and an amateur first year film student like early link later stuff that drives me nuts yeah you're not a link later fan no i'm not and a lot of his stuff is just rambling philosophies and there's no story and it's two people just walking down a street talking for too long and are they is the acting good you know, it's as good as it can be when the lines are that forced. Yeah, okay. And when a lot of it is just atmosphere. Look, here's another naked hot woman swimming. Right. So not that much acting involved. No, Really, just no. speaking. Okay. I mean, hmm. I, I would love to hang out with these guys, not at this Alpine villa, but just having a beer in some dirty bar. I right. would love to do that, but I don't really want to watch them do what they're doing here. And it's a shame. I really, I really love these people, but it's a shame. This is a bad date. All right, well, let's see if we have any success uh, with Chirac, the new Spike Lee joint. Uh, this is a, an, an Amazon original. It's the first motion picture produced by Amazon. Oh, they're, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, interesting, right? Because, uh, you know, Spike Lee's been going to Kickstarter and things to do his last few films, mm-hmm. and now here he is with Amazon. Um, very timely film. takes place in uh, Chicago today. It's about two rival gangs, uh, the women that are caught in this and who decide they try to do something about it. Here's a clip. Man, you really think something like that could bring peace? Y'all know the power we have over them withholding just a day. A week. Ooh. Imagine a month. A year. Oh, they don't bring the peace. Suppose, suppose that the men just dump us. If we all hold out, who can they go to? So, Rafer, I have to say, I love the premise of this because I've mentioned Lisa Strada on the show before. Yes, you once, have. Once because of uh, movie therapy, I think. Oh. <laughs> and I love that this is kind of inspired by Lisa Strada. Right. It's not a complete copy of it. And for those folks out there that don't know Lysa Strada, this is from uh, the third century BC. It's an yeah. old Athenian play about the women going on a sex strike so that the men will stop fighting each other. Yeah, it's to end the Peloponnesian War. Yes. Um, yeah, and uh, and as the movie points out, this was also done back in the uh, 2000s when a group of Liberian women held sex strikes to end their country's civil war. I think their second civil war. And uh, it wasn't the driving force behind all the things they did, but um, it was part of their strategy and it got them some media attention and I think it contributed to uh, uh, the peace process. 
So in this movie, that's what happens. You've got a, a group of people led by a woman named Lysistrata who decides to uh, who decides to spearhead a movement, withhold sex from the men until they end this gang warfare. Nick Cannon plays uh, Chirac, a rapper named Chirac. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And uh, who plays his rival, uh, a guy named Cyclops with a sequined eye patch? It's Wesley Snipes. Ooh. Yeah. And Samuel L. Jackson is our narrator. A uh, little trivia. Um, these guys have worked together before. Jungle Fever, Do the Right Thing. So it's kind of a reunion for them. Um, and Spike Lee, I mean. So it's interesting, you know, you've got, you've, it couldn't be more timely based oh, on yeah. everything that's going on in Chicago. Oh, um, the number of shootings are just huge. Yeah, it's huge. And, and there's a, there's a, a sort of a, a, a pre, a, a sort of an opening, an opening credits uh, uh, list of statistics that makes clear the death toll in Chicago and the death toll in Iraq um, to give you kind of an idea of why we call it Chirac. Um, I think uh, the fact that this movie is all told in rhyme, that all the dialogue rhymes, is uh, interesting, although I find that a little exasperating. Is it like a rap movie? Well, it's a little bit more like kind of a Shakespearean iambic pentameter. I'm not sure if it is iambic, but it's something like that, mixed with a kind of a rap slang, a kind of slam poetry feel. Um, it's very uh, very crude, very earthy, very salty language, a lot of curse words. Samuel L. Jackson, of course, uh, mm-hmm. does, always does He's that great the at best. That. He sure is. Um, Great cast, uh, Angela Bassett, people you haven't seen in a long time, like Dave Chappelle, uh, which is great to see him. He plays the, he plays the manager of a strip club that suddenly has no strippers, um, <laughs> because, which is actually pretty funny. A uh, lot of funny stuff in it. It's very, it's, uh, very colorful, cartoonish, uh, very broad, farce, racy, sexy. This sounds great. And yet, Kristen, oh, no. and yet, I knew there was going to be it, an and it's, yet. It's Spike Lee, so you've got a lot of uh, a lot is of it pol- preachy and heavy-handed, polemic. A lot of preachy. Uh, there is literally a preacher in it, uh, <laughs> played uh, oddly enough by John Cusack, who is the leader of this uh, uh, all-black religious church in Chicago. Which at the time, while I was watching the film, I kept scratching my head, thinking, "Whoa, what's? Why is this happening? Why is John Cusack a white preacher?" at an all-black church in Chicago. And it's a little odd to hear him say things like we when he's talking about black-on-black violence. It seems a little odd. However, he's based on a real-life white Chicago preacher, uh, Father Michael Flager. Um, and uh, the church in the movies, the uh, St. Sabina, is the church that Father Michael Flager leads. And so, you know, Spike Lee's not just a total dummy. He's, he's basing this on real, on real life. It's just a, the problem is, you know, Spike Lee, it's creative and wild and funny and just so uneven, so heavy handed at times, so soapboxy that I can't really wholeheartedly recommend it unless you're just a real Spike Lee fan, which I am. And I love seeing his camera work and his color schemes are great. And um, there's so many great ideas, but it's tough for me to really give this a wholehearted recommendation and say, run out and see Chirac. I think it's interesting and cool. And, and it says a lot of good things about Spike Lee as a guy who's still kind of out there doing his thing, making movies, tackling topical issues. I can't say it's a great date, unfortunately. Mm, interesting date. It doesn't sound like a great Inter- date. <laughs> interesting date. <laughs> Let's move on to something a little bit uh, 
historic, if you will, a more historic drama called The Letters, which is all about Mother Teresa's life and specifically how she became a saint and her early days going from being a cloistered nun to being a nun out in the world, helping the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. So, Rafer, let's talk a little bit about Mother Teresa. Well, um, I think everyone knows who she is to begin with. Have you heard of this woman? I've heard of this woman. Um, It's funny. You know, I was kind of saying Mother Teresa is um, such a such a well known figure. She's so, and she's become so synonymous with goodness and charity and sacrifice that really the only time anyone uses her name anymore is when they're being sarcastic to say like, (laughs) "Who are you, Mother Teresa?" What am I, Mother Teresa? Um, that's who Mother Teresa is, right? She's such a she's such an iconic figure, um, and so I was kind of interested uh, to hear about this movie uh, because the reason that it's called the Letters is that it's based somewhat on her correspondence, uh, a lot of tons of personal correspondence that she wrote over the I think the latter forty years of her life. And what's interesting about those letters is that it reveals this. Um, kind of a dark side of her, meaning she was often very depressed, uh, very lonely, very isolated, and she felt, um, and I'll, I'll take a quote from the film, she felt abandoned by God often. Um, and that's a little bit of a surprise. So I was interested to see what this movie would do with it. Um, let's take a listen. We do not want you here. We do not need your help. We are Hindu. And do not teach our children about your God. This is not a place for you, a Christian teacher. You don't belong here. It's best for you to go. I may not be wanted here, but I am needed. That's Juliet Stevenson, uh, a British actress with whom I don't think many Americans are familiar. I'm not, but she's been around for many years. I actually thought she was very good in the role. Didn't you? I thought she did the best she could with what she had. Ah, And yes, by that, Kristen. I mean, okay, let's talk about these letters. I, I'm going to go back to something I learned back, back in my days as an MFA fiction writer. Okay. Show, don't tell. Exactly. Show, don't tell. Tell. Yep. We don't need everything in the letters read out loud to us. Yep. Show us. Yep. Show us how she's feeling. Show us on her face, in her actions, in her interactions with other people, in her conversations. Show us. Don't tell us. But you it's, never see it. No, we don't see it. But, you know, even worse, I don't really totally see why she's a saint in this movie. It doesn't have the grandeur of Gandhi. It doesn't have the sense of urgency of Selma. It doesn't have all of those things that you look at and you're like, wow. You're unbelievable. You changed the whole world. And it should have more of that. Everything seems very small and very tidy. It seems very low budget. Yes. Uh, When I think of India, and as you know, I lived there for a while, I think of very crowded places all the time. I think of hustle and bustle and oftentimes things being wildly disorganized. And even even in the most disorganized scenes in this film, there's still only like 20 people in the scene. (laughs) Right. I mean, you're right. You can see see the the seams kind of show, I think, because the budget is limited. Um, And I think the other reason that they do... uh, that they tell and not show is because um, they wanted to have room for other stars. So you get Max von Sydow and Rutger Hauer, who are um, playing a couple of Catholic uh, higher ups, who are discussing the potential uh, beatification of, of Mother Teresa, Sister Teresa, back then, and um, and so and in order to kind of hash out whether yes or no she does deserve sainthood, they discuss these letters um, and they come to the conclusion that yes, you know, 
because she persisted in the face of these agonizing doubts, she is even more deserving of sainthood, um, which strikes me uh, as a very Catholic church way of thinking. <laughs> that sort of that, you know, and I, I don't mean to knock Catholics themselves, but the Catholic church has a, has a specific way of kind of handling and f- finessing these things, uh, it seems to me. And so that didn't strike me as terribly interesting. And although the project of her charity is pretty remarkable. I mean, she really did just kind of leave that leave that cloister and just walk out into the into the slums and try to help people. That's remarkable. But I think you're right. What you're what you're telling here is simply a story of long, slow, steady process over the course of like what from the 30s up until her death in the 90s. It's I like, think. Look at and, you deal with bureaucracy by being patient. Yes, exactly. Good job. <laughs> exactly. I know. She, I know. She makes these. She makes these uh, uh, petitions and grants, and then and then the the really the biggest moments of of drama in the film is when she opens the latest response from the Catholic Church and reads it, and they try to build it up as tension, but I keep thinking like, but the answer is clearly going to be yes, because we know that she became Mother Teresa. So I'm not that I'm not that surprised that the answer is yes. Yes, you can go out and do your good works. Um, yeah, not a great date, I'm sorry to say. Slow and boring, right? Yeah, sadly, I have to agree with you. This is uh, the kind of date that you would expect to be on PBS at yep. 11 at night on a Sunday back in 1980, but not in the theaters right now, unfortunately. Not a great date. I agree. Kristen, that brings us to the week's big release, Krampus. Krampus, they're going to talk about Das Krampus. Is it D Krampus or is it Das Krampus? Oh, aren't they? Oh, maybe it is D Krampus, not Das I don't Krampus. Know. I have no But what idea. are his minions? Are his minions Krampuses too? Elves. Elves. Uh, this... <laughs> <laughs> All right, now that we've now that we've taken a swipe at both the Catholics and the Germans, um, let's get to the actual heart of the story of the Krampus. As you were saying, Kristen, this is the uh, the, the uh, inspired by an actual Germanic folklore tale. Yes, yes, folklore tale. So tell us the tell us the story of this film. So in this film, which I do have to say, I laughed a lot. You remember me sitting next to you yes. laughing, Rafer, during the opening. We see the agony. Not just the ecstasy of the holidays. We see the misery of like holiday shopping, of putting up the decorations, of dealing with family members you just cannot stand. We see all of that up front. And as somebody who loves Christmas, I can look at the flip side and laugh my head off at that. It's hilarious. I thought it was great. So it has a strong opening. And we're centering our story mostly on a family headed by Tony Collette and Adam Scott and their two children. And most of the time, we're seeing the story through the eyes of their young son, Max, played by MJ Anthony. And he is a little boy, really just a little too old to still love and believe in Santa, but he does. Yeah. And he's got a pure heart. But then that heart gets hardened by not just the commercialism and the anger of the holidays, but specifically by some just horrible relatives that come every year at Christmas time. His cousins, his aunt and uncle, a great aunt who's a borderline alcoholic. Yes. Everything is just miserable when these people are around, and it's hard for him to really keep his faith in the holidays. He decides, I don't believe in Santa anymore. None of my wishes come true. Look at how miserable I am every year at this time. I'm over with this. I, I, I've had it. But... By tearing up his letter to Santa, by saying he's over Christmas, the Krampus takes that as a signal. I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you. You're going to be sorry that you gave up on Christmas. Here's a clip. We can't go anywhere. It's too dangerous. You got it? Howard, how much ammo do you have? 
couple shells still loaded, maybe a dozen in my pocket. Why? I think our best bet is to stay put. Board up all the doors and windows. And as soon as the weather breaks, we'll go find her. I told you we should have gone to my brother's. Sure, Howard, Christmas on a pig farm. Jesus was born in a barn. So, horror comedy for Christmas, I have to say, I love the idea. And, mm-hmm. and I love the idea of, uh, of the Krampus coming in and, uh, you know, terrorizing a suburban family. Um, I, like, I like the idea that, you know, you've got these horrible extended relatives who are just terrible to you. They're, they're, they're intolerable. And, you know, there's a little schadenfreude involved in, the, in a movie like this, right? At least there's potential for it. I love that it. you just used the word schadenfreude. Oh, that's right. More German. Yes. Sorry. If you... <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, but you know what I'm saying? This idea that like, oh, God, I, you know, my extended relatives are here. I'd like to throttle them. And here comes the Krampus to actually do it. Um, so... You've got some real potential here. Um, you know, look potential. at Potential. Well, I know, right? Um, and think of movies that have done it well, uh, uh, like Gremlins, for instance, which I think this oh, movie is really Gremlins. trying trying to be in a lot of ways. Um, I think there are some problems here with this film. Oh, yes. Starting with the fact that there's really no horror and no blood. It's a PG-13 film. And so there's really there's nothing truly gruesome, truly scary, nothing actually disturbing, no gore, no splatter, nothing that's really going to break that PG-13 barrier. It's going to all be pretty bloodless, clean, sanitized. Um, so that's kind of a little disappointing. And it's not that funny. Um, really, the only funny person I think in this film is David Kuchner, who plays the uh, the uh, uncle, the uncle, was... Uncle Howard, mm-hmm. um, and he's this kind of red state guy, you know, who comes over. He's always talking about guns and God, um, and he's funny. But other than that, it's pretty bad, wouldn't you say? Well, I I really was enjoying the first third of this film. Oh, I really? Actually, was and and part of it was just that shot in Friday you're talking about. Yeah. But then I felt that. Tonally, it couldn't make up its mind. What is it trying to be? Is it trying to just make fun of these people? Is it trying right. to, you know, be uh, a scary movie? Is it trying to be a heartwarming movie? I, I got very confused about what it was trying to be at a certain point, and yeah. I, I had a hard time following the tonal shifts that would suddenly and quickly happen. Right. And there was a point though where I have to say during those ridiculous moments that you're talking about that are just bloodless but violent. Yeah. There was a certain point where I was watching Tony Collette shoot a bunch of toys that had come to life and yes. were attacking her. And I thought, Tony Collette, you're an awesome actress. I know, right? She's how so did she good, get in this thing? Because how how did they get her? And how is she actually the most convincing thing in this whole movie? <laughs> I, I was blown away by her. I thought she deserves an award for just being in this movie. And for somehow making it seem convincing that these, you know, bl- these little dolls in the attic are actually making you scream your head off like that. Well, I didn't think there was anything convincing about it. I thought the, <laughs> I thought the, the special effects, the costumes, the oh, creepy God, the toys, masks. they look they look so amateurish and harmless. It's like season one of Xena. Yeah, but it's but it looks like it looks very much like. Um, I, I don't know what it looks like. Uh, it looks like a student film or a high school play. It's like it just the, the the costumes are these really simple, really simply designed things that you can kind of see the actors underneath them stomping around. It's not it's just there's just nothing scary about it. And I will say, um, this movie has probably the worst third act I've ever seen. The movie <laughs> yeah. just goes into free fall. It's got about six different endings, all stupid, all incoherent. It just ends horribly. Oh, yeah, it horribly. does not fit together. The, the puzzle no. pieces in the end. No. 
you're like, what am I supposed to be taking away from this? No, I know. Nothing. Nothing at all. Uh, yeah, it's it's too bad because I think there was a lot of potential there. But I got to say the Krampus was a terrible date. I have to say it wasn't a good date. But oddly, still the best date of the week. Wow. No kidding. <laughs> I would certainly vote Chirac over, over the Krampus. All right. Well, stay with us because we may have some more laughs after the break as we talk about Aziz Ansari's new Netflix original series, Master of None. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And we want to remind you to go visit our Facebook page. We always have little tidbits on there. What do we have on there right now, Rafer? We've got the latest trailer for Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, the hotly anticipated DC Comics film. Uh, Henry Cavill as uh, Superman, Ben Affleck as the controversial choice for Batman. Uh, tell us what you think about that if you go and watch this trailer. Me personally, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. She's not really in the in this trailer that much. Maybe they're saving her for the for the film. I don't know. Anyway, tell us what you think at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. All right, Rafer, let's move on to a little something we like to call sweatpants. You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. Am I the Queen of England? I don't know. Does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. Woohoo! I'm wearing sweatpants every day between Thanksgiving and Christmas this year because that's how much I eat. That's how you roll. Yes. Oh, I really do roll that way. Roll, <laughs> oh, come on roly now. Roly-poly. Yum. <laughs> so this week's uh, pick is uh, Aziz Ansari's Master of None, new Netflix series, uh, getting a lot of buzz. And by popular demand. Several of you have written into us saying you want us to review the show. Indeed. So, Kristen, uh, sketch out uh, the premise of this comedy. So Aziz Ansari is a 30-something single guy dealing with not just dating and singleness, but also with being a first-generation American. His parents are immigrants, and um, amongst his diverse best friends, at least one of them also has parents who are immigrants, and his circle includes other people who are trying to be actors, other comedians, also just some other folks in, you know, on the edges who are young parents who have gone on to the next stage in their life where they're not exactly just playing the field in their 30s in New York anymore. They're settling down. They're dealing with birthday parties and bouncy castles and yes. all of those things that come along with parenthood. Here's a clip. Hey, Alex. Hey. Well, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm just getting some stuff for my baby. What? You have a baby? Yeah. It's like your baby? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Who's the guy that um, he did the uh, the dad person? It's my, my husband, Dylan, yes. Dylan. Cool. When did, uh, when did you guys meet? About a month after oh. our thing. Oh, it's cool. So, Aziz Ansari, many of us know him best from Parks and Recreation or from his stand-up uh, comedian work. But this is our first time really seeing him head up kind of what I would call almost a dramedy, where it's comical most of the time, but there are moments of poignancy throughout the series as well. And our first episode actually focuses on what we were mentioning just a minute ago about what it's like when you're that single guy and some of your friends are starting to couple up and have kids. And Rafer, that's like me and you. That's, <laughs> indeed indeed you're, it is. You're married and have kids, and I'm your buddy that's not married and I don't have kids. Right. Um well, you know, I have to say um, this series uh, uh, opens up with two people having sex 
in a in a in a darkened bedroom. It's Aziz Ansari and a woman he's just picked up somewhere. And, um, you know, the condom breaks and there's a little crisis here. And all of a sudden we've got uh, something to deal with. And I just want to say from the very first opening second, literally the first second of this pilot, I started shaking my head. I did not want to see two people having sex Is as that if that... you're married? No. <laughs> it's just because I'm not shocked. You don't have to do it. It's, it's, it's easy. It's an easy laugh. It's the kind of thing that people do now on streaming services and cable because they can and because they couldn't do it on, on um, network television. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't titillate me. It, I don't, it doesn't seem fresh, new, daring, shocking, anything. And I just thought, is that what we're going to do? Is this where we're going to go? And sure enough, it is. And I just have to say, everything about this pilot just struck me as dated, tired, and something that I had seen before elsewhere and done better. Really, I mean, and I mean from start to finish. Wow. I like Aziz Ansari. I think he's funny. He's amiable. He's a likable character, um, or at least he has been. I didn't find him that likable in this series. Um, but I, I just, again, I was instantly tired of it. I was wow. instantly tired of it. You? Wow. Well, you know, I have to say thematically, I like what the show has been focusing on. The first, second, and third episodes are the ones I've seen. The first one where it's him with... Out kids and without a wife versus his friends who are settled down and have kids. The second right. one, it's him looking back on, through flashback, who his father is, what he doesn't know about his father, what sacrifices his father's you know, life included before he came along, and then juxtaposing that against his very posh New York life, I'm trying to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that thematically, I like what it's trying to explore. However, I think the execution is very clunky. And I think yeah. that... Tonally, things are frequently off. Yes. And unfortunately, I think the chemistry between the actors, in real life, I know a lot of these guys are friends, but the chemistry on screen sometimes just feels stilted. Feels like, very stilted, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, and I don't know what that is, if his stand-up friends are just bad actors, because, you know, there's a difference between stand-up and acting. I think I know what the reason is, and I think it's because um, these aren't, the, there's not really much of a story here, and there isn't, these aren't characters that I think have been drawn very carefully or realistically. And so what you get a lot of the time is when two people are talking, it's really just about the jokes. And so they'll say anything and do anything, even if whether it's in character, out of character or not, they'll just do anything to do like kind of a funny one liner or a zinger or something that's kind of awkward or something that's kind of off kilter. That, this isn't a you know, setup, but I'm setting it up so that I can right. say something funny, you even know, though there's nothing to create a setup around. You've poured your heart out to me, and now I'm going to say something kind of weird about something else that is one of these sort of awkward moments that makes you feel that, what, I'm a jerk. And I kind of think, but why do that? Why, why, don't, why not have these characters actually try to interact instead of just always looking for uh, a window for a, a, a quip? And I think the problem is it's not that well written and it doesn't hold up as a, as a, as in terms of story and character for me. And even though I got a chuckle here and there because Aziz Ansari is a funny guy, uh, there's no way I would watch this again. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to say. I'm sorry to say it. I know I'm like the real naysayer because I think people really do like this um, this series. But to me, it just felt like tired, tired uh, material, you know, single guy versus the versus the parents. I've seen it a million times, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I'm sad to say I agree with you, Rafe, right? I did watch three episodes, and after that I thought, that's enough of that. And yeah. I feel bad. A lot of my friends are saying this is the greatest thing right now on Netflix. And 
I wish I could agree with my friends. I wish I could, but I, I just don't. This is not a good date for me. All right, Rafer. It's that magic time we call trivia now. Time to wrap things up and time to hear from our listeners. And last week, we asked, in honor of Carol, Carol, a movie that has a romance that starts in a department store, we asked about another department store romance in another film. We played this clip and asked you to identify the film. Here's the clip. So really I'd better scurry. Well, maybe just a half a drink more. The neighbors might think, say, what's in this drink? I wish I knew how to break the spell. And what is that from? Little nine-year-old Megan knows. Hi, my name is Megan. I'm nine years old, and I live in Whippany, New Jersey. My answer to your question is Elf. Megan, thanks so much for calling oh, in. Oh, we just love it when kids call into That's us. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for listening, Megan, and thank you so much for submitting that answer. We hope you like the movie Elf as much as we do. We both love Elf. That, really, that movie is honestly an all-ages favorite. Oh, I, it's I showed terrific. that to my kids not too long ago. They both just cracked up. So they loved good. it. So good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So this week's trivia question. Uh, we're going to uh, springboard a little bit off of Youth, the film that Kristen was talking about earlier with Michael Caine and Harvey Keitel in the twilight of their years and in the luxury of a spa. Um, and we all, we've all seen uh, Harvey Keitel in many a, many a role, uh, often playing sort of a psychotic, odd, off-kilter <laughs> oddball, um, someone that you wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley. Here's a film that uh, Harvey Keitel starred in that you may not know that he starred in. Here's a clip. What? What'd I do? Nothing, that's what. This is crock of shit. Mr. Johnny. Law. Son, I got a feeling about something, and Yeah? I just want to ask your opinion. Do you think Thelma Dickinson would have committed armed robbery if you hadn't taken all their money? If you know the name of that movie, give us a call, 5717movies. Or you can always message us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. 